Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Redrawing the Bath podcast. I'm your host, Chris Harmon, and today I have the special opportunity to introduce you to someone who has become a very good friend of mine, a author, a publisher, a podcaster, um, and overall just a very wonderful person to be around, my good friend, Nora Speakman. Nora, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Chris, for hosting me and just love everything you're doing. I am a big fan of Chris Harmon. Oh, thank you so much. So I, I, I'd love to start. I, I mean, I know you. A lot of the people that that we interact with on a on a regular basis know who you are. But for the people that don't know who you are, I'd love for you to share your story and and where you come from and your faith journey. Oh goodness. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. I've learned to keep it short, just because <laughs> it is a long story. I'm nearly half a century old. <laughs> so there's a lot that's happened in five decades, but effectively I was raised Catholic and I, um, as I like to say, if you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, it's very similar being a Hispanic Catholic. Um, mm. and there was heaven throughout my house. And what I mean is we had life-size statues everywhere um, we had a rosary hanging on every corner in case you had a sudden petition. Um, it was just who we <laughs> were. And the thing about Catholicism that is absolutely, for me, such a beautiful, a beautiful institution is it welcomes suffering unlike any other religion. If you've ever read Henry mm -hmm. Now, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, mm -hmm. Thomas Merton. I mean, there's something about it that is mystically um, something you can't wrap your hands around. And at the same time, because of what we call Holy Communion, which is taking the communion together and drinking the blood of Christ, which is the wine, there's something tangible at the same time that it's mystical. Mm. Uh, I'm no longer a practicing Catholic, although my siblings and my mother and father say, yes, you are. It's denial. <laughs> but I carry it with me. And it undergirds the spirituality that I practice even today. Hmm. Yes, it's quite beautiful. But, um, and I think the other thing that made me who I am with all of the sort of offices that as you articulated, my gosh, I was like, I'm a busy woman. Um, <laughs> is that it's the serving of other. That's the other thing that for me, Catholicism really birthed in us is look to your right, look to your left, look right in front of you and understand that there is always someone to give to whatever mm. giving looks like. And it's the embodiment of love. It's the embodiment as we were talking about before we recorded of who Jesus the Christ truly was in serving other. Yeah. No, I, I love that. If, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to, you, you mentioned the, the theology of suffering within the Catholic church. And I'd, I'd love for you, even just for a few minutes to expound on that, because that's something I've, I've definitely realized and, and uncovered in a lot of ways over the last few months. But as someone who grew up in that tradition, oh. as, as a podcast that's revolving around giving people new ways and new perspectives to understand spiritual practice, what, what does that look like? My goodness, it's so, it's beautiful in the sense that 
there's so many facets to it, right? So I think of the scripture in James that calls God the father of lights who casts no shadow. And what I've always remembered in that scripture is it reminds me of the most amazing gem, probably because I'm a woman. (laughs) (laughs) And the way the light hits the most intricately cut stone. And we get to be all those facets, right? How do we experience the Christ? So I remember even as as a little girl, the church would give us as children small tithing envelopes, little, they were so cute. It's like somebody, it's something you do a little girl playing like a, you know, tea party or something, but they were tiny and you could put your change or whatever it was that you felt led to give because it was going to go to the poor. And we Hmm. knew that because often we would, with our little Sunday school classes, what, you know, I guess an evangelist or a Protestant would call it, we called it catechism. We would often go to orphanages. We would go to the homeless shelters. It was always a matter of witnessing what we were supposed to be doing. It wasn't about just seeing people suffer. It was about experiencing it with them to understand Mm -hmm. it. And not only that, but it was, say, for example, if you weren't feeling well, my mom would say, can you offer your headache? to Jesus? Can you Mm. offer that um, uncomfortable feeling to Jesus? When we were nervous about a test or something, she would say, offer your anxiety to Jesus. And Mm. it was something that made sense because you grew up just hearing that. And so it's a matter of understanding that we get to just the way that we watched him in the passion suffer that you had things in this world, just as he told us, you know, in this world, you will have trouble or you will have suffering, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And so everybody, I think, learned in my family anyway, that this is just part of life. And rather than having this attitude of, if you believe nothing bad happens to you, that's nowhere near Catholicism. Or it's mm-hmm. everything is pie yeah. in the sky as long as you believe. No, it is not like that. It is, you, be prepared because things are going to come your way, but you're just taking part in the suffering for the world with Jesus. Hmm. So it was really yeah, something. No, I, a way. Yeah, no, I, I keep, keep going, keep going. I, I love what you're saying. Well, it's interesting because When you come up against, as I sort of did that juxtaposition with sometimes what we hear, because I have been Protestant too, um, all you have to do is have faith and all you have to do is believe. And I'll tell you, that's one of the hardest things for people to wrap their brain around because Mm. what ends up happening is you can end up with a crisis of faith. Yeah. And you end up wondering, where is God? Because my life looks like, you know, crap right now. Or somebody you prayed for isn't getting healed. Or And so it's really interesting. I know there are a number of us in our circles, I'll say, in in this podcasting world that don't believe in prayer by petition. I'm one of those people. I don't believe in that. Hmm. Yeah, no. And the further I get, the the more I I begin to... 
man, I have such a tricky relation that that could be an entire podcast in and of itself yeah. is, is, is that kind of prayer. But I, I totally hear what you're saying. And I, I mean, as, as a current evangelical ex-evangelical, I kind of go back and forth, but I mean, we, from, it doesn't matter who's talking about suffering, the, the Protestant tradition that at least I grew up in and a lot of my peers grew up in, mm-hmm. there is not an adequate theology of suffering in the no. sense that it's, it's a lot of it, quite frankly, is just like, well, at, at least you're not going to hell, like right. <laughs> shrug shoulders, pat on the back, like that should make you feel better. Right. Um, but I love, I love that. I think it was Richard Rohr that talked about, um, Jesus being on the cross on the crucifix to so that anyone who is undergoing some sort of suffering can realize that Jesus sits in solidarity with them in that moment. Well, remember you drink the cup of bitterness. hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and when you look at Judaism, right. And when we celebrate Seder or Passover, we also drink the cup of bitterness and it's reminding Mm -hmm. us of the suffering in fleeing from slavery, which if you talk to somebody who's Jewish, they'll say we're always in the Exodus because Mm -hmm. we're always moving to freedom. But in order to experience freedom, we have to know our name. We have to know our identity. And we can't question suffering in the middle of trying to identify who we are because that's an entitled position. Hmm. Yeah, no, it, yeah. It, it really is. And man, and that's, that's a whole other conversation we could have about, about Old Testament and, yes. and, and those kinds of literary analysis. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Um, <laughs> today we're here to talk about, so funny backstory, when I asked you what you wanted to talk about, <laughs> you simply said oneness. And <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, does she mean the cosmic Christ? Does she mean embodiment? Does she mean meditation? And so I, I wanted to text you back, but at the same time, I was just like, let's, let's have the conversation and, and see where it goes. So, so what is oneness? So my answer would have been yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I figured. So for me, especially with the blend of spirituality, I feel like I put Catholicism, Judaism, evangelical, Protestant in a blender and made a baby. And, <laughs> and this is where I'm at, um, yeah. along with um, Buddhism and some really beautiful, you know, and I talk about this funny enough in Underdeveloped Love, the book that will be launching soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about it like this. If do you remember and maybe y'all don't have them, but if you've been to Texas we have Luby's Cafeteria. Any cafeteria type restaurant, probably you can understand what I'm going to say, but you have your main entree, right? And then you mm-hmm. have your, your supplements or your veggies or your dessert. And so for me, I would say probably it's a tie. I, it's like having ribs and brisket. <laughs> I'm such a Texan. Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And Judaism. And then I have my supplements that go along with that, um, which would be like my potato salad and sweet mm. potatoes. And anyway, I'm hungry. It's almost dinner time here. So that's kind of how yeah, I no. describe it. Right. And so, um, mm-hmm. so oneness to me is we're all incarnations of the divine. We present mm. uniquely 
but we're bound together under Mm. the unity of God, right? Yeah. And what I call this is the mirror of humanity. So when we are stuck in traffic and we're cursing, when we are at the grocery store and somebody is just like moseying along in one of those motor scooter things that shouldn't be on one, whatever it is that's frustrating (laughs) we look for ourselves in that person. And we remember Mm. that we are all connected. So Mm. that's one aspect. And when we take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to creation, we remember that it was from oneness, which is love, which is God. Oftentimes I refer to God as love. um, That birthed everything from him. And here's a beautiful story. I don't know if I put this in my book. I don't think I did. In, in Judaism, there is a term called zimzum. Have you ever heard it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Rob Bell did a book on this, but because uh, he has such a, a great training in the ancient path. But, but in Judaism, they believe that this is how God created everything was through zimzum, which means he took a step back and his light just burst into all these beautiful things. And that is how he created everything, was from him. So we come from oneness hmm. into being. And when you consider he knew how he created us, right, with this beautiful understanding, this knowing of who he is or she is or it is, whatever you want to call God. Mm-hmm. And put into, for me, the atmosphere, this vibration of love, because we hear through vibration, we sense through that. Yeah. And that is what, if you've ever stood, I mean, you came from California, you probably saw the most tremendous sunsets on the ocean. Hmm. Yeah. And when you see these beautiful sceneries, it takes your breath away. Or you say time stood still, right? And it's that experience. There are glimpses that we have of oneness. It is in the spiritual discipline of learning to understand it fully, mind, body, spirit, that we then begin to function. I mean, we're talking about even as we talked about suffering, it's when you hear the story of another, and maybe you've never experienced exactly what they've been through, but there is again, that vibration of empathy. Mm -hmm. You're one with them in that moment. Yeah. You feel with them. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's gosh. Yeah. That it's, it's crazy. To, to think that that is somehow a, a scandalous idea in the in in the circles that I grew up in of of the oneness of I mean you look in so many places Old Testament New Testament it talks about how Christ is in all and is is making all things new like there's so much that points to that all things are connected and just because of the vocab that 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 is is different but in some ways quite frankly better at explaining it. Mm-hmm. It, it it makes people uncomfortable when when this this kind of thing is talked about. So I'd be interested to to hear of 
I mean, I hate proof texting, but what are some, what are some key passages, both like old Testament and new Testament that really stick out to you as indicators of, of the truth of, of oneness with, with both the divine and both with, with each other as, as you said, incarnations of such. Well, the first thing that comes to mind again is, and I think it's getting past translation, right? Hmm. So we sanitize the Bible as Christians <laughs> from the original Hebrew yeah. in the Old Testament. Yeah. And it is absolutely poetic. When you look at creation and it talks about God hovering over the water, if that is not a figment of of um, your imagination in being one with your spouse in intimacy. It's a beautiful when you look at the figurative language there. And we see it again in Song of Solomon. We see it again in the Old Testament with that. But then in the New Testament, if you remember, I believe it's in John where Jesus is getting ready to, you know, to do his, his final um, act and he does this beautiful prayer, which when people say, what is Jesus' prayer in the New Testament? And I always say, it's not the Our Father. It's when he is telling his father that he wants nothing more than his disciples, his, his people to experience the love that he's experienced as one with hmm. the father. Yeah. And as such... That he knew that would be almost better than what we call the Great Commission, because the Great Commission is not about just going out and serving others because it's a rule. It's because we experience that oneness together. You're helping a homeless person. You're actually helping yourself. It's that mirror of humanity. Hmm. It's helping to, to repair the fractures of a broken world. And it's remembering um, that beautiful collectivism of this transcendence of self, the most holistic level of human consciousness, how we all relate one to another, the significance of other human beings in general, and not only that, but to nature and the cosmos, right? Um hmm. I had my grandmother who was a Toltec shaman. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is really fascinating. But she would tell us, you know, go outside and play. Well, me and my cousins were there. And we would be visiting grandma's house. And she would say, when you go outside, pick something to be. Pick something in nature, whether it was one of her roses on her rose bushes or a tree or the grass. And then she would call us back and say, now describe that to me. Tell me a story about being the tree. Hmm. You know, wow. what was that like? And so it was beautiful because you would say, like, you really had to get into the understanding of what that is like. And when you consider that, it freaking blows your mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I mean here, here in Charleston, there's a, there's a tree literally probably five, 10 minutes from, from where I live and it's called the angel oak tree. And it's, it's been around for, I want to say 300 to 400 years. And mm -hmm. then you go out to some of these plantations that are, 
I, I don't really make a habit of going out to plantations because just because of the history surrounding them. But we've been invited to a few events with our friends and to see these massive oak trees that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And even at that, I mean, Abby and I were driving down this long dirt path down this just row, row of, on each side of these just gigantic oaks and thinking if these trees could talk, how amazing would that be? Mm-hmm. And so I, I totally hear you of, of how mind blowing it would be to, to have that kind of experience. And, and with that, I mean, it, it's, it's election season and, and whatnot. So within oneness with, with what's around us, how do you think that that should affect the way that we interact with the environment? I will tell you that, <laughs> well, and you know, my husband, so he loves politics, it, yeah. but it, it hurts. I mean, it literally makes me feel so sick inside to see not only the divisiveness of humanity in this time, but also in folks that don't even stop to think about our environment, the climate, um, the species. We are so self-fulfilling. It's a me-centric existence in the West sometimes. Not everybody, but I think that's where we tend to go. And I don't understand. I don't understand. I mean, I think it's common sense to sit with people who have opposing Mm. views and try to find the commonality that binds you, not the differences, because I'll tell you, if you're looking for the differences, it's not going to be hard to find them. But it is harder to find Mm. what do we agree on and where can we begin from? And this is not just in politics. I mean, I'll be completely transparent and tell you, which Timothy's going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe you just shared all of our stuff. But in marriage, if you don't have something that is at your core that connects you in a very real and deep way, all you're going to focus on is what divides you. Hmm. So you even need that oneness in those very intimate relationships. It's funny because when you think from the science perspective, right, modern quantum physics talks about a unified field, which underneath connects everything in creation. Mm -hmm. Um, It talks about if this is time, I think Seth, our friend Seth Price, shout out to Seth, posted the other day (laughs) that there are um, sort of these ramblings about what if time is not past or future, but it is just always. Hmm. Yeah. That's part of oneness too. It's, it's remembering that now is the only eternal moment we have. And it's kind of freaky when you start going like, why am I worrying about something that hasn't happened? Right. We do it about so many things. Mm -hmm. Why am I concerned with these wounds and triggers from my past? If, if I'm not even experiencing that anymore and I'm in the present moment, we rob ourselves of now. Yeah. No, that's good. And and with that, I'd, I'd love to ask you when it comes to, to oneness and, and being one with each other and, and searching out for that connection with those people around us, 
you mentioned triggers and and things from our childhood mm-hmm. how would you say oneness is is to be maintained and handled in in specific specific situations whether it be your geopolitical experience or also like a social familial experience whether it be a a a troubled childhood or a or a um a country falling apart or whatever the the circumstance may be how do you think that oneness would apply and especially as as someone from a a tradition backed with judaism i'd be interested Mm. with the with the prophetic side of it how how does oneness play out well i'll tell you so so with regard to and this is kind of what I do for a living too with my transformational coaching. Everything is about transformation. Hmm. And as we learn transformation, we understand that transformation is discontinuous change. Meaning, although we're moving forward, it is not this constant evolution. It is where we arrive in the next space in our humanity we mm-hmm. sort of get out and walk around and try this new part of us out. But then it's time to, okay, now it's time to move on down the road. What does that look like? And it's remembering that we don't, we do not make others transform. We, mm. it's, it's up to them, right? So all we can control is ourselves. And the, what I teach my clients that I get to walk alongside is, When you're in the now, when you're experiencing, say, for example, between a husband and wife, and there is this conflict, because what tends to happen, I'll I'll just share with men mostly, is I feel disrespected when, right? That's a big one with men. And with women, it's I don't feel loved when. Hmm. Okay. So, So when I have my clients, if I'm working with a man and he'll say, you know, she does this and I feel so disrespected. Okay. And remember, there was a post that I shared on Facebook sometime back about the law of first mention. Mm -hmm. It's like reading scripture. So that's the question is, if you're working on yourself with transformation and oneness, do you remember the first time you experienced that disrespect? And invariably, there was something that happened, obviously, as a kid, because our brains are hardwired to work off of memory. And neurologists have shown Hmm. 80% of the conflict we have with others is something that actually happened in the past. It has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with the person standing right in front of you, but you're surely going to take it out on them. Yeah. So it's remembering, going back, what I say is let's follow that emotion back to the origin and understand what that's about. Hmm. And that's keeping yourself alert to oneness because when we are not wholehearted, right? And that's scripture again. God says, you know, worship me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Well, how can we do that? if we're fragmented from wounds and triggers, Mm -hmm. which is not oneness. You know, we're, we're, it's not that we have, um, we're split, but in some ways we kind of are, our heart is broken. And there's maybe parts of us that are still functioning like a six-year-old instead of a 26-year-old. Yeah. 
how how would you so so it, it's interesting a lot of the people that i talk to inter, are interacting with or have interacted in the past with like you talk about how on, we can only transform ourselves and, and that's so accurate i see that in, in myself i see that in in my marriage and in in my relationships with other people both in person and, and even over social media especially yeah with uh with uh super tuesday happening right as we're recording this there's been a lot of I've seen a lot of people trying to transform each other, including myself. Um, but w- something that I see a lot is is people that are going through a transformation who are in religious environments where they're transforming and they're going through these things. Um, and and, and the, the church that they're at or wherever they're at does not want to go with them. Mm-hmm what what would you say to to what would you say is the best way to experience and practice oneness for those for those people that's a great question and it's interesting because our dear friend who we mentioned earlier um alexander john shia not only did he write heart and mind the four gospel journey for radical transformation but he also wrote returning from camino because he hosts people on this beautiful ancient path uh, through Spain and surrounding areas. And there is no designation for the Camino. Uh, mm-hmm. People will say the Camino begins right outside your front door. Um, mm-hmm. But the what happens is people go, you know, for 30, 60, 90 days, some people longer. And mm-hmm. you meet yourself. You are on this road and you are literally walking out your journey re-entry, as I like to call it, is such a challenge because you have been transformed. You've had time to think. You've had time to make peace with yourself or offer forgiveness to others. And you Mm. come back and you're like, isn't life awesome? And I want to tell you all about it. And people are going, I was still here like living normal life. Mm, Yeah. And it makes people uncomfortable sometimes because they don't know how to respond to where you are. And the crazy thing is, as Alexander would say, the other thing is people don't realize that what they think is their zenith is really only the beginning. Hmm. And so I think it takes a modicum of grace. I think it takes remembering in the oneness is as I sit in this space, and I'm being hurt. Am I being hurt because people are intentionally trying to sort of snuff me out? And maybe sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> in church yeah. settings, especially that's the case. But it's it's really understanding it so that you bring clarity and wisdom as your companions to understand what are next steps rather than heightened emotion. Hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's good. It and and that's so true as far as spiritual spiritual journeys and and cami- using the 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 term for the camino caminos just in life it, it's so true that you go through these spiritual transformations and then you come back to the people around you and they they've just kind of been sitting there reading the newspaper yes um kind of like in narnia when when lucy comes back through the wardrobe and everyone's still playing hide and seek and she's had this amazing magical experience um I, I want to know what what does oneness look like for for you day in and day out with 
I mean, with, with, with your husband, with, with the people around you, even, even just with yourself and, and your relationship with, with God, what, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Like how in practicality, if someone's like, I really want this, where do I start? Well, for me, what it looks like and something you have to adjust to, and I'll tell you the hardest part of adjustment for me first, and then I'll tell you what my daily practice looks like. But the hardest part for me, and it sounds silly, was being able to sit and actually look in the mirror. Because as I that's where mirror of humanity came from for me. Hmm. I could not look, I mean, I would look in the mirror, obviously, to like, you know, brush my teeth and get myself ready for the day. But I wonder how many people actually take time to look in the mirror. What do mm-hmm. you see when you look in the mirror? Whose eyes do you have? What do you love about who you are? And it's a weird thing because as we talked about, we live in a me-centric culture. It's kind of, you feel arrogant, but <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. what, it's, it's so beautiful because it gives love or God the opportunity to, in your spirit, remind you of the beauty that is within you. To remind Mm. you of how he made you uniquely, but a part of him and a part of everyone else. And it reminds you to love yourself because as we say, even in the Shema, right, which you have tattooed, (laughs) (laughs) is we can't love our neighbor as ourself if we don't love ourselves. Yeah. So it's getting comfortable. It's getting familiar with who we are. And it's really funny because this literally for me has been over the past couple years. Um, and as I said, I'm, I'm going to turn 48 in June and it's learning to celebrate who I am as God's daughter. Who am I as a daughter of the cosmos? Who am I as a woman with a mission? And it's identity um, and knowing so deeply who we are, because when we connect to that space, even when the storms of life come, even when someone is spewing nastiness in front of you, you stay tethered to that oneness because you're so comfortable with yourself and you know who you are. Mm, Yeah. So that was the thing that I had to get used to. Now, daily practice. I wake up, and this is the thing. So I talked about it even on my podcast uh, where Glenn interviewed me. Judaism believes that our soul leaves during the night in the journey of sleep. And it returns back to commune with God overnight. Hmm. Then it comes back to us in the morning. And that's why they were so grateful Uh, for the first breath, because it's like, okay, I still have work to do for God here. (laughs) He Mm. sent me back. Um, And it's a beautiful thing because when you consider the Psalm that says he instructs me in the night. So I have gotten in the practice when I'm, before I go to sleep is I say, I'm ready for my journey of sleep. I have these questions about, you know, whatever. I'd love some clarity and wisdom overnight. And I will tell you that invariably the next day I wake and it's like, I know exactly, like I have a plan for whatever it is, but 
When I wake in the morning, the first thing I do is practice gratitude. Even before my feet hit the ground is thank you for my journey of sleep. Thank you for my husband waking next to me. Um, thank you for my health. Thank you that I'm breathing. I, and I go through this, this whole thing. And then the next thing I do is I sit in my meditation time and I ask the Lord, what do you have for me today? Hmm. What is my assignment for today? Who is going to cross my path that needs to remember who they are? And what hmm. am I going to see in myself in myself as I see them? Yeah. Yeah, and, th so and that's another thing that, that I, I'm, I'm genuine. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was listening. Oh, it's a... That's another thing that I've I've really noticed, especially hearing from you and hearing from Seth and and hearing from a couple of others. That's another theology that I feel like is really missing from from a lot of my peers and even myself. I don't know how to be grateful. I I don't know how to wake up in the morning. Usually the first <laughs> usually the first thing I wake up in the morning and and I'm like, are all the bills paid? Are we taken care of? Are we good? Mm -hmm. Okay cool like that's great and i'm not hey like thank you that i'm alive today and thank you for i i correct me if i'm wrong but i i believe that there is within the the way that synagogue is done that there is a practice of of crying out things to be grateful for oh yes i mean in judaism you bless god at least 100 times a day hmm and you, it's for, and for anything, like even it's funny, my friends laugh. Cause I'm like, if you see a handsome man, you say, thank God that you created that man, that handsome. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. For, for us evangelicals, it's like, oh, look away. You can't, you can't appreciate yes. that. Right. Exactly. It's weird, but you know, it was, it, it is designed because of the same cubics of the temple. And it was 100. And that's why that is that practice. Um, mm. So it's fascinating when you start breaking that down. But, you know, my second father, I talk about Rabbi Peter Tarlow, um, who was the rabbi for A&M Hillel, Texas A&M and College Station for 32 years. He, and he's a counterterrorism expert to this day. He goes and trains police forces all over the world. He's going to be 79. Wow. He's in a different country, sometimes every two or three days, and Jeez. he doesn't stop. He's also the chaplain for the College Station Police Force. And he, you know, I was home, Rabbi, how do you do it? And every morning he walks five miles because he believes in being aligned mind, body, spirit. So I'll mm. tell him, you know, what do you do when you feel like you're getting stressed from all of this madness? And he said, I tell myself that I'm not an entitled person that God gave me breath and I want to be completely used up when it's my time to go. Hmm. Yeah. That that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Um, so, so we're, we're running short on time and, and, and like I said at the beginning of the podcast and, and like you said a little bit later, you are a very busy person. <laughs> so I want to, I want to, I want people to be able to find you and, and know what you're up to. So, so what, what are you up to? What, where can people find you? What are you working on right now? Um, what, what are, what is Nora Speakman up to? Mm. 
Well, it's, it's really funny when I consider, even a few years ago, if I would have thought that I'd be doing what I'm doing, Chris, I would have laughed at somebody. And I'll never <laughs> forget driving to the grocery store um, one day when God and I have these conversations. And um, in my spirit, I just heard him saying, you encourage so many people. And I went, you know, I try. It's what I believe is one of my gifts, you know? Yes. And he said, when are you going to encourage yourself? And I Mm. stopped and I broke down into tears because he said, why do you think you're not worthy? What is your deal? Like I gave you a voice to be a vehicle to intersect humanity. You're a survivor. You speak. Mm. And I was just floored. And it was when... I reached out, as I said to Alexander John Shia, was my first guest on my podcast. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, didn't have a podcast, but I, you know, and now we laugh about it, but I just had to take a risk. And I know you can appreciate that and start moving in a direction. Um, so with that, it's kind of funny how things come full circle, but he and I are, have just launched Shia Speakman House, which is First, it's, it's being launched as a publishing house, and we know that it will grow into so many other mediums to artists, mm-hmm. to podcasters. Um, but the goal is that we all experience the oneness of transformation um, and that we're all sort of speaking the same language and, and can become a family. So we are launching that. Um, I have my book, which will be released under, of course, Shia Speakman House, called Underdeveloped Love. Um, and what I liken underdeveloped mm-hmm. love to is like an underdeveloped country that has no infrastructure, resources, or education to know how to function at its highest and best. I believe humanity doesn't either. Mm-hmm. And we need to be fully developed by love or by God in order to understand that we are not here only for us, but we are actually here together to repair the fractures of a broken world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that. That's a that's a lot. And then, what is you, you mentioned before we started recording? Rec- excuse me, recording that you had a uh, you had an ebook up on your website. What wh- which one is that? Oh my gosh! So my ebook is on my website, which is just norasspeakman.com. Um, and my ebook is called Who Are You and Why Are You Here? Hmm. <laughs> and the reason that it's called that is because in Judaism, there is a little legend about Akiva the rabbi who um, goes bobbing down the road doing his prayers, gets lost, and comes upon a Roman garrison. And the soldier opens the little window to this massive door and says, Who are you and why are you here? And being a good rabbi, Akiva answers with a question, right? A question with a Mm -hmm. question. And he says, young man, what do you get paid to ask that question every day? And he said, 20 drachma of silver. So Akiva looks down and looks up and says, I will pay you double that if you stand outside my door every day as I leave my home and ask me that question. Who are you and why are you here? Wow. Isn't that powerful? I, I know. Yeah. And so that is what my ebook, because my platform that I believe is God given is all about identity, purpose, 
and being available for humanity. And we can't do that if we don't know who the heck we are and why we're here. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so you you mentioned your website. Where else can people find you? I am on Facebook, um, just under Nora Speakman. And I shouldn't say just, and I want to say that to folks because just is a minimizer word. So mm-hmm. watch your language, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Instagram, uh, Nora Speakman. I am even on Twitter and I have a fun story about Twitter. Oh boy. I know. So I didn't really understand the whole thing. And I think Donald Trump ruined it for me, but I was sitting at like <laughs> 19 followers and not really knowing how to practice it. But you know, Twitter is all about community. And Mm. I met the most, I met, I say that because I have so many friends all over the world from social media and it's so fun. But there was a young woman who I saw her story on Twitter about being a survivor of sexual abuse and it was in the military. So of course, because I'm an encourager, I messaged her and I said, I love your story. Good for you for speaking out. And she said, why does it resonate with you? It was so interesting, right? And I said, well, I am a survivor of rape. And she said, why don't you talk about it? And it was very like, what? You know, and it was, it's that whole thing about sitting in front of the mirror. And I thought, why can't I talk about it? I should talk about it. And it really made me realize that we have to own all of our story, even the hard parts. Hmm. But what she did was she, she went on Twitter and she said, I want to introduce everybody to Nora Speakman. Within that day, I went up to like over 100 people. Wow. Because that's the power of community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to bring it back full circle too, I mean, that's the power of solidarity, right? I mean, yes. when you can get people and oneness and, and everything else that we've talked about is that is the power of, of knowing yourself, knowing the people around you, standing in solidarity with them, understanding suffering, man, we've covered a lot of ground. I'm telling you, we could keep going. <laughs> I know I, we totally could. It, we'll have to have another, another conversation sometime soon. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nora, for, for being with us today. And, and I, I really do want to say for anyone listening, when that book comes out, do yourself a favor and go get it because, and I, I genuinely mean this, and, and I'm going to try to make a practice of this to anyone that I have on, of, and, and I probably shouldn't say that because they're, they're going to hear that if they listen and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go on. But I'm, I, I definitely want to talk you up for a second and just say how awesome it's been to have you speak in, into my life as far as the podcast and as far as um, the book and, and really push me forward in, in a way that, I mean, like I was telling you before we, we started recording, I, I just kind of started downloading software and bought a microphone and started asking people to do interviews. And I, I would not have done that if it wasn't for people like you encouraging me to just take that step. So I just want to say thank you. And, and for those of you who are listening, when that book comes out, I I would assume it, it will do the same kind of inner work that, that you need for yourselves. Absolutely. And I wanted to recognize you, Mr. Chris Harmon, because you are under 25. <laughs> <laughs> you have a soul, as I say, he's an old soul, everybody. But the thing is, is that I'm so proud of you 
because you did take a risk and and being all about identity, you are walking into not even the fullness yet of what it is. And I can't wait to be one of those folks who's on the sidelines saying, I always knew you could do it because mm-hmm. I have said from the time that I watched you on Facebook and then began interacting with you, you speak from a place that you know what you know. And it's because your story, you've lived it. You've lived it, you've owned it, and you have just continued on the path. And that takes courage. So Mm. I want you to remember to celebrate you, to celebrate your beautiful bride and all that you guys have come through. Because sometimes we do need to look back, but it's only to remember what is beneath our feet so that we get to keep going. And you have a lot beneath your feet. Wow. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lost for words. So I think that's a, that's a perfect place to, to wrap. But again, thank you so much for, for being with, with us today. And and we'll definitely have to talk again soon about so many of the other things that we could talk about. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for hosting me. And I wish you all the best with this podcast. Thank you so much, Nora. Mm -hmm.